other than the nerves going on right now. But it's great to be here in front of you and, and uh, teaching this morning. And it's nice to just, this is not at all related to what I'm about to talk about, but uh, I, was, I met some people for the first time that's visiting their son this morning, and he said, can I pray for you? He found out I was preaching. I love that sort of uh, spontaneous, random type of things that happen. I think I saw Patrick Fisher somewhere. These I had a great conversation with him last time he was in town, like six months ago. I love these, the way God works through people, just in these quick conversations and, you know, random chance meetings. Not at all what this message is about, but if it's still true, then I might as well mention it. Uh, I'm going to start out talking um, about, uh, you know, I, I don't do a lot of home repair, uh, but I do watch a lot of shows about home repair, so I think that <laughs> qualifies me. And um, my... We have HGTV on a lot in our house, the Home and Garden Television Network, so I hope you're familiar with HGTV. It's a good channel if you're trying to get ideas for home improvement or if you just want to feel insecure about your own house or your own yard, and you can see what these other people have. Uh, it's a fantastic network for that. And um, so we were watching, they also have these shows where you, people go and buy houses, so there's like House Hunters and House Hunters International. And there's one, we were watching, I don't, it was either House Hunters International or my, my wife thinks it was a spinoff. So they go, like, normally they go and they look at, like, three homes or apartments or condos or whatever, and then they pick one at the end of the episode. And uh, This was uh, two people, this couple, they were buying an island. So they were out island shopping in the, in the Caribbean. And I think some of you can probably identify with that. Uh, where, so they're out buying an island, and, and they, had, they looked at three of them. The first was, like, eight million. They had an eight to ten million dollar price range, and, uh, which, I, I don't know, it seems reasonable. Like, they, they were... Uh, the first one was about $8 million, and then I think the second was like $16 million. But each of them had a little bit of problems or whatever, and then whatever. So at the end of the episode, they, they finally picked one in their price range. Um, and they come back like six months later, and they're talking to the couple, you know, how do you like the island? Because they were going to build a resort out of it, but they're first kind of getting there. And, um, they're like, oh, this is, it's just perfect. You know, we come out every night and have a drink on the beach. It's just the stress-free life. And I had so many emotions at that point of like, well, if I have $8 million to buy a stress-free life, like this is, it sounds great. Like this idea of living on a beach and that's where we get rid of our stresses and it's just perfect. And I, if I had something, I probably would have thrown it at the TV too. There were these hosts of emotions uh, going on. Um, but then it's also interesting because then like the next thing was they showed some investors coming to the island and kind of like, I, I was kind of concerned that it wasn't actually going to be all that stress-free uh, in the long run. Like maybe for a few months it was. And it got me thinking about kind of uh, stress and worry. So today we're going to talk about worry. Um, if You can guess if you already looked up there. Worry and stress and anxiety and, and kind of this idea of, uh, I think some of us are chasing after a beach and kind of what are we, what are we chasing after. Uh, and I should just clarify from the beginning because I, I think a lot of you know me, but you don't necessarily know me in my personal life. And uh, I am a pretty good worrier. So like I have a strong... I could give you a, a resume of my worrying of, like, I lock the doors a few times at night. I make lists all the time. I, I worry at my job. So I do teach at IU. We're supposed to publish a lot. So I worry in my publishing, you know, is it, do I have prestige? You know, do I have whatever? I'm worried about all these different types of things. If you want to talk about it later, you can talk to me or probably better my wife, and you can find out that I'm a worrier. And, and whenever I worry, what I do is I have this sort of... Uh, Bible, I, you know, I go to the Bible, but I have this sort of approach. I have an athlete's topical Bible. I'm not an athlete, but I have this one. Someone gave me. And so I'll just go, okay, when you feel anxious, and then I'll just read the verses, like, do not worry, and, and you know, and, and then what? Like, I just keep reading it. Like, I read it over and over, and it's like a mantra, just kind of, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Okay, do not worry. And I'm in the middle of something I'm worrying about. It, it doesn't always work for me. So 
the, the problem here is that Jesus is a little underspecified on what it means to do not worry. And how we, uh, I do stuff with computers, so how we implement uh, do not worry. Can you go to the next slide? So I uh, wrote down a few different uh, approaches to worry that uh, I've noticed in my own life. And kind of, um, the first one is what I was talking about with the, with the island, you know, the sort of escapism. Even like working for the weekend, kind of like I'm, I'm busy, I'm stressed, I just need to get away from it, or I need to remove worry from my life. So once I remove it, that's, that is the way to implement do not worry. I just won't have it, so I, I don't have to worry. It's a great idea. I don't know that it's ever actually worked for anyone. And whenever I go somewhere, like a uh, vacation or whatever, like worry seems to follow me with it. So it's kind of, I hesitate that that one's actually going to work. The second one, I already mentioned kind of this mantra approach, like do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. And it, it works a little bit kind of the same way that Fruit Loops is a part of a balanced breakfast. Like it, it can work, like it becomes like a meditative practice, but you need some other things with it. Uh, so we're going to talk about some other things as we go along. Uh, organization, I, I, you know, I make my lists. If I can just get them kind of, I'm sure some of you do this too. I, I check things off the list. If I can get my ducks in a row, like everything will be fine. Um, it, it hasn't worked for me yet, and I tend to add an additional worry because I worry about whether my list is correct, and so I worry about the worries, and it, it goes to the wrong place. Uh, cover it up, so kind of, you know, uh, just bury it deep inside, pretend it was never there. Like, these, these, it's a good solution. Um, a few years from now, enjoy your therapy if you uh, choose that route. Um, they're, they're all, these first four, and you can see the fifth we're going to get to, the, the first four are, are superficial fixes. Like, they're sort of, it's, it's ones I turn to when uh, I'm in the, the midst of worry. It's not so much anything I think about ahead of time. It's more like, okay, I have a problem. How do I remove worry from my life? How do I remove or reduce anxiety? And I've already gotten to that point where it's there. And what we're going to talk about today is more getting to the root of it or really doing more upfront work, kind of figuring our lives out and then figuring out worry when we get to that. Um, so we're going to talk about worry, and um, we're not really going to deal with those uh, four approaches. Uh, we're going we're to try to deal with some, uh, more pract some practical things that I hope will work. Um, and I should just make one caveat. Like, we're only going to deal with like one real type of worry today. And um, there's a lot more out there. Like, I'm not talking about like clinical anxiety. I'm not a psychiatrist. If you leave here and say, great, I don't need to take my medication, uh, that may not be a good idea. You know, consult with someone else on that. Um, Okay, my doctorate's in linguistics, not medicine, so that's not going to help you much. Uh, okay, so I want to go, so we're going to get back to the do not worry verse, but I first want to go, you can go to the next slide, Hi, Tim. I first want to look at uh, just a, a brief excerpt from the parable of the sower. So uh, the parable of the sower is a story that Jesus tells, and it's, you know, the sower is sowing seed, and it's representing God spreading the word of God. And whether it takes or not depends on the, how the soil is and what the conditions are. Um, and so there's one part, you know, if it grows, you know, on, there's the rocky ground, there's the thorns, there's the path, there's, and then there's the good soil. Uh, the seed that fell among thorns, so that's, you know, the seed goes out to the thorns. Jesus is now explaining the parable. And he says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And it's been something that, um, this phrase, I have it in bold there, uh, choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. This phrase has just been eating away in my mind for the last few months. This kind of linking of worries with riches and pleasures and kind of worry with good things. And th these things can go hand in hand with each other. And um, so we're going to take a little uh, side trip here to talk about a few things about how extensive I think this is um, in, in modern society and in culture today. And I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to preach on a month ago. And my wife and I were driving home from Illinois um, from a trip, and we were, 
pulling a gas station, I think in Danville, somewhere, Danville, Illinois, something like that, and um, saw this sign, and it was like, I was trying to think about what the sermon was going to be about, and we were talking about things, and the sign was, it was kind of like a sign for, from God, because it was a little funny, because uh, it said, uh, Polar Pop, 44 ounces for 79 cents, bigger is better. And it had this, you know, big announcement. I saw a lot of people drinking pop this morning, so I just want to be clear. I'm not going to be anti-soda or anti-pop, however you want to use it. But this idea of bigger is better really got to me. Like, this 44, 44 ounces for 79 cents, it's like, you know, I've been paying $1.25 for like 20 ounces. I've been getting ripped off. I need this polar pop. Like, I, this bigger is better. This is where it's at. It's like, if, I mean, it's partly advertising, but partly these things start to get ingrained in our lives of sort of, um, you know, do you want more out of life or drink more soda? Like this is, you know, if, if, you're not, if you're dissatisfied in some way, here's part of your solution. Get, like the 20 ounces wasn't doing it for you, 44 ounces. Bigger is better. Bigger is, like, and this bigger is better, it's a very pervasive thing uh, when you start looking around in our uh, culture about, you know, you need a faster internet, a fancier car, you need the latest handheld device, you need the best seats in the house or just going to the best games or shows or concerts. Go the tr- get the trendiest kitchen. The HGTV encourages you to have the trendiest kitchen. Um, all these things, they're, they're, it's, it's along this path of bigger is better, more, more, more. Kind of go down, there's something good. So a lot of these things start with something good. Like I think soda pop is actually, it's a nice treat. It's a good thing. And then just say, okay, what you need is more of it. Keep going down this path of more, more, more. Um, and and I ha- a problem I have with the bigger is better um, and it ties in, we're going to get to the, the, the choking by riches, pleasures, and worries in a moment. The problem with bigger is better is, you know, it's not true, for one thing. Like, I think any idiot can tell you it's not true. I, I remember when I was in college, I bought an album by the band Yes, called Tales from Topographic Oceans, and uh, it's a double album, and it's terrible. It's a bigger album. <laughs> like, I, like, bigger, if it's better, that's your, you should go buy that album. I did not enjoy it. Uh, it's very pretentious, and I could go on about that. The, the, in general, the band's good. I like their stuff, but it's, in general, I like soda. In general, I, I like um, handheld devices or cars. They're very useful, but this idea that, that more of it's going to lead me to a better life. Like this sort of, there's this sort of implicit notion in a lot of what we see, a lot of what we take in, a lot of how we deal with our lives, that if I have more of something, it's a good thing, so if I get more of that good thing, then I'll have a better life. So I think about these things, you know, uh, if I go to a, you know, get a, tr- a better-looking kitchen, you know, it may be a good thing, but like, how much does my quality of life go up? It's, it's kind of the first question I want to think about. Is sort of when I get to these better things or more of these things, does my life actually like, is my life improving with each little bit of moreness? Does it go Does it go better? Um, and then that's what gets me to this choking. I mean, I mean, so it's the first question, just sort of like, how do I deal with it? Does it help me? But then I think it actually hurts us at times. And it's going to be different for everyone. So I've given lots of examples, but the thing that you're, that might be choking you, the riches and pleasures that might be choking you, is probably going to be different for different people. But the thing is, it's sort of like, um, we only have so much room for good things in our life. So, uh, I mean, we only have so much time, energy, money, effort. Like, we can only do so much. Like, and literally with soda pop, like, I can only take so much in. My bladder is not that big. And, like, then something's going to happen. And, like, Something, and then when I buy something for my kitchen, like, it has to go in some space. Like, it doesn't just exist in some ethereal plane. Like, it goes in a, a drawer or whatever. There's only so much space. And so even if it's a good thing, um, is it something that actually starts to contribute? Well, I feel cluttered. I feel whatever. Is it, 
I have to start asking, how do I want to use the space that I have? How do I want to use the energy I have, use the time that I have? We're just kind of pegged in on one sort of um, notion, whether it's a, a phone or a TV or whatever, is that really where you want to spend your energy? And I think the other thing that bothers me about it, as I'm kind of getting to with this more and more and more thing, is it's the, one of the reasons that life's worries, riches, and pleasures choke is that it's never enough. So I don't know, like I mentioned before, my job I'm supposed to publish. I can tell you, when you publish a paper, you want to publish two. And when you publish two, you want to publish three. And the next thing you want to do is publish another one. And when you start doing one thing, you want the next thing. It's a very, uh, it's not always a slippery slope, but it's a very dangerous thing of kind of uh, going down this it's never enough path and not really accepting. We may have good things in our lives, like 20 ounces of soda, like that was pretty good for me until I saw the 44 ounces. Like then I wanted more. It was sort of this kind of creating a, a need, which is the definition of advertising, I think. Um, we, I mean, a definition, definition of some kinds of advertising. Um, we don't, we're not accepting what's already good in our lives and we're going for that, that next thing. So the, the thing I want to drive home is that seeking more is not always good for us because it can create more anxiety. It can create, leading to this lifestyle of wanting more. It doesn't work out in the end. And, and when I say it doesn't work out, I mean, you may not think you're being choked by something or distracted even by pleasures and riches, but I can almost I can pretty much assure you that you probably are in some area of your life. My wife and I just got back from vacation. Uh, we're gone last Sunday, and there was a day um, where uh, I, was I was kind of upset because we hadn't done enough. Like, it was sort of... Uh, we were supposed to be seeing things. It was a great place to be. We had a lot to do. And like this pleasure of being on vacation was starting to get at me. I wasn't doing it right. It was starting to choke, like a good thing was starting to choke me a little bit. I had to kind of pull back and say, what, what is this? What's going on? Um, I mentioned work. I mean, for a lot of us, work is what we do, work or school, what we do. could be a very, I actually enjoy my job, but then it starts to eat away at me. I start thinking about it too much. I start, well, okay, I, I did this well this year. Next year, I need to do even better. Kind of, I, I need to get to that next level. But sort of the next level, of course, the, the illusion is there is a next level. I mean, maybe there is a next level. The only thing after that level is another level. It's like a, your life is a video game or whatever. You just keep going on, and, and you don't really get anywhere. You just keep defeating bad I don't. I'm not going to take the video game analogy any further, I think. Uh, it, like I said, it's pervasive. You know, we have, you know, you get the latest big screen TV, computer with more memory. I mentioned home improvement stuff. It, uh, I've seen people, uh, they enjoy Facebook and they're choked by Facebook because of what other people are posting and kind of this competitive environment that they get in, sort of, well, I want to do a little bit better than someone else. It's, these are things that I just want to start, put out there as things that might be hurting us. So good things, but they might be hurting us. And I think this is sort of the, the what the parable of the sower, this particular part of it, is getting at, is that good things might be hurting us. I'm not trying to make anyone, I want to be clear, I don't want anyone to feel guilty I don't uh, have any particular axe to grind. It's just I want us to think about, okay, if I'm feeling anxiety, where is it coming from? And maybe it's coming from somewhere that's good, but it's been taken too far. Like I guess I'm just, we're dealing with one part of worry, and this idea that something good can be taken too far. Um, it's like, you know, we, I thought I love owning a home, but I'm in charge, or we're in charge of the lawn, we're in charge of the plumbing. We're, like, there are stresses, there are things that can choke you in these good things. Always be aware of that. It's a, uh, if, if we're, and I think, the, no, the problem with this chasing the next level is this sort of chasing. We're, we're chasing after um, something. We're chasing after soda pop. We're chasing after a better home or, or prestige or something. These things that never really satisfy. And I think we all know that. We know it's a chasing after the wind, uh, as it says in Ecclesiastes. But we don't always live that way. 
So I know for me, um, I think if I sit down and think about it, probably 90% of what I worry about doesn't actually mean a lot to me. I mentioned like this, these publications. Ten years ago, I didn't care. I still really don't care that much, but it's like that's what's in front of me to worry about, so I better worry about that thing. Like that's what's being presented to me by life, so I'm going to go with that. That's the way I tend to live. And so I'm trying to just find that in my life, pick it out, and, and do something about it. Okay, so um, I've spent a lot of time sort of off verse. I mean, we were talking about this choking by riches and pleasures, but I just want to see the more you kind of look at our society and our culture today, it's very extensive. So we don't even realize sometimes how much we're letting some sort of competition or some sort of chasing after a next level influence the way that we're living and the way we're feeling anxious. I hope that's making sense. You guys seem at least awake, so that helps. Okay, let's go on to uh, the next part. So I want to get back to this passage of do not worry um, from the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, one of his first big sermons in the book of Matthew. It's also the Sermon on the Plain is similar in the book of Luke. Um, and I usually read the Bible with the breaks that like the NIV or whatever version I'm reading gives to me, but this one I'm going to look at without the break between two different parts. Um, and the first part's really what we've just been talking about, and then we're going to get to the do not worry. So no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's kind of what we're talking about. Replace money with whatever that is, the thing that's useful, the thing that's good, something that's in your life you're trying to serve instead of God. You can't serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. I love that word, therefore, because I never read it most of the time. And so I was actually reading it this time. Like, okay, you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? It's interesting to me because I said I approach this problem of worry most of the time by asking, how can I reduce anxiety? How can I reduce worry or eliminate a worry from my life? And um, it seems from this passage that do not worry is, is less of a command and more of a result. So it's kind of like figuring out that first part. If I've, it's more if I, can figure out the not ser- if I can figure out not serving money, not serving whatever, and serving God, then the worry stuff, it's the result of that. I mean, it is a command in some sense. Uh, we could talk about the linguistics of it later if you want to, the declared or the imperative statement there. Uh, it's a command, but it's more of a result, I think, in this context. Um, and it's this idea of chasing, what are we chasing after? Well, if we're chasing after the right things, then I think worry is reduced. If we minimize some of those things that uh, don't mean much to us, uh, then I think worry goes down. It's this idea of when we're chasing the next level, I I think we're chasing meaning. I think when we're going after God or money, we're trying to find meaning in that. We're we're getting a bigger TV. In some sense, I think we're trying to find meaning. Um, But we've replaced something good with garbage, in a sense, or something inferior. It's kind of like, I view it kind of like going to Italy and saying, like, hey, I'm hungry. Do you guys have a Fazoli's around here? Um, Nothing against Fazoli's. It's fine. But if you're in Italy, like, you got some better options. Uh, and finding those better options, uh, that's what helps us here. And I think the point I'm just trying to make is that I think Jesus is, is better than what we normally take him for. And that he wants to give us meaning, and we're just chasing after in these illusory ways. So the question I'm saying is, the question is not so much how do I reduce anxiety, but rather, what is my life about? Like, that's why I said, like, polar pop is fine, uh, but if that's kind of what my day is about, um, it seems sort of sad. And, and sort of, if you know, to take it a little bit where it hits me a little bit more personally, if it's about what I've just, my papers or whatever I'm doing in my job or your job, uh, it's kind of sad if that's what my life is about. 
And that's where the worry is coming from. Um, as, as opposed to sort of being a part of the redemption of the world, living in the kingdom of God, I, I think a lot of us, when we think about being a part of the redemption of the world, we, we rarely, I shouldn't say we, let me say I. So when I think about being a part of the redemption of the world, I rarely make my day-to-day decisions fit into that question. So kind of, will this bigger TV help me with the redemption of the world? I don't really ask that question. Uh, I probably should, but I don't. I remember uh, my dad telling me years ago, so I think this is true, but if not, we'll just blame my dad. Uh, it's convenient for me. So he said there's a church uh, that they, these people, when they're going to buy something or make a big life decision, they go in front of the church and say, you know, we're thinking about buying a boat. What do the people think? What do the people in the church think? And I love that. I, w- I would be totally scared and terrified to ever do that myself. But I love that idea of sort of like, well, the first question is sort of, what does God want me to do? And if I have to actually ask someone else, do you think God wants me to do this? Or do you think, you know, what are you feeling? It's a little scarier that way. Um, part of what I'm trying to say is that there, there is, part of what I'm trying to do in my own life is, is chase after this meaning, chase after the goodness, the things that don't lead to worry, the things that lead to God. And, and part of, I'm going to give some suggestions. We're kind of going to move from the theoretical portion of the sermon to the practical portion of the sermon. Not that it's been overly theoretical, but move from the kind of what, what I think the problem is to kind of what do we do about it. And, and part of what I want to just get us thinking about, in addition to kind of what is your life about, which is kind of an intimidating question, I have to admit, uh, is to think about where have you tasted meaning or goodness or contentedness? Like I think for a lot of us, um, we live day-to-day lives, and we get a little bit of meaning, but not a lot of it. But where are those moments where you've had, like, a lot of meaning? I don't know if that makes sense. I'll, I'll give you an example from my own life. Just, I mean, it could be things like, uh, I'll give you an example in a moment. It could be things like being a part of intercessory prayer. It could be helping a sick coworker, or just a coworker in general. It could be um, hiring someone who's homeless to mow your lawn. There could be lots of things that are ways that you've actually felt meaning. Um, we have, we have an example for me. We have a Bible study uh, from this church that meets at Backstreet Mission. So it's a homeless shelter, um, and we meet there a couple times a month. And a couple months ago, I was leading there, and I was teaching on, I think it was the end of Philippians, which actually features another passage about do not worry, and then talk about praying um, instead. It says, if you don't worry, God's going to take care of you. And there was a guy who was just giving me a hard time. Like he was, I'm pointing here because he was over there when I was teaching in front of people. He's not over there now. Uh, he's just giving me a hard time. Actually, he was giving God a hard time. He's saying, you know, my family's not working out right. Uh, you know, these things that God, God says he has these promises and they're not working. You know, what do I do about that? And like, I knew the guy. I talked to him for a few months and I liked him. As he's talking, like my heart's breaking. And I'm thinking, when he gets done, I have to say something. But I have no, like, I'm speechless. Like, I don't know what to say when he gets done. So he stops speaking, and this other guy starts talking, this guy who has cancer, and he starts talking about, his name's Rick, and Rick says, you know, well, you know, they tell me that not, the, the doctors have told me this and that, and like, things aren't going very well, but I'm praising God. And then he gets up and he starts dancing. It was an extremely awkward moment. Like, the whole thing was awkward, both, both that guy and the other guy, and they kept going all night, it was awkward, like, but it, I felt so much meaning that night. I mean, I felt God there. And I don't feel that way all the time. Like, that's the thing I'm thinking about. Where, for me, that's one moment I think about where I put myself in a position. So I'm not, every time I go there to Backstreet, I don't necessarily feel that way. I don't feel that amazingness. But I'm putting myself in that position, at least in that case, where I can feel some sort of meaning in my life. And that's the thing I'm asking. 
where do, where do we think God is at? Where do we think God wants us? Where do we think meaning is at? And I think really, if the, mo- if the only thing you take from the sermon is to start asking a question like that, you'll have gone pretty far. I don't have that written down in my notes, so I'm just going to rely on Heidi or someone else who's writing all these notes to look later and see what I'm saying. Uh, part of what I'm saying is that it's sort of unexpected. We just have to put ourselves in those positions and seek God um, to, to uh, find out where this meaning is at. Because for me, it's sort of the opposite of worry isn't reducing worry. It, it seems to be meaning. It seems to be finding meaning in Christ as the opposite of worry. Okay, so I want to move on to, I'm going to give you, uh, or give myself really, give you, give us, uh, two and a half pieces of practical advice. So I, enjoy, I know you probably want a three-point sermon. We're going to do two and a half. Uh, so these are just a couple of mechanisms that I found to be useful and that we'll see in, in part of the, the continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Other, other things, I'm not going to talk about prayer, but you know, that obviously is one. I'm not going to talk about community, working hard at some of these things. Like it, it just, these are a couple suggested mechanisms um, that I found to be useful. There's no magical path. Uh, the two main ones are, are simplicity and service. If we go on to the next passage, so simplicity has been sort of underlined a lot of what I've been saying. Um, I think, yeah, this one. Okay, so this is the continuation. This is usually where I start reading the do not worry passage. Um, it says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? That's what we read in the previous slide. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So note, the birds of the air, they're not sowing or reaping or, or doing much. It's not a complicated life. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And it continues. They talk a little bit about the lilies of the field. And then Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I love this, this image of the birds and the lilies because it's so simple. It's, a, it's the idea of kind of they have very few encumbrances. Um, and, and when I think about encumbrances, so this is uh, maybe not the best example. It works for me. Some of you probably shop at Kohl's. Um, some, some of you have worked at Kohl's. Uh, and they make, when you go to check out there, I always... This is extreme, but I feel like kind of throttling the cashier because they always want me to get that Kohl's card so I can get a 10% discount. I don't know if it's a 10. Uh, something like that. You can get a discount if you sign up for the card, right? It's a good thing. It's a discount. It's something that's useful, but I don't want it. My life is complicated enough. My wallet won't fit if I keep getting these cards and accumulating them around town. Uh, there's a good thing. There's a benefit to it, but if I am chasing simplicity more than I'm chasing just cost or whatever or money, if I'm, if I'm chasing God and then trying to declutter my life, I think it's where I can find God. It's kind of like doing Lent all year round. I think of simplicity this way, um, which I think I enjoy those feelings during Lent. I just don't do them the rest of the year sometimes. But Lent, if you're unfamiliar with the practice, a lot of people give something up for Lent for 40 days, um, but then just the end of the 40 days and like you, you take it back up again. It's this idea, simple, simplify. I'm not going to give a full definition of what it means to, of simplicity or what it means to simplify your life, but it's this idea of making space, making room, perhaps literally making space or making time, clearing a calendar or whatever, making room for God, making room for the redemption of the world in your life. Um, it's one of those things, that it's, I'm not saying, you know, okay, think about, I'm not saying if you have a large house, get rid of it. I'm saying think about these things of, is my large house killing my soul? 
it's a kind of extreme. I'm, I can be a bit of a drama queen at times, but kind of is this large thing killing me? Is this TV killing me? Is it is something like not right internally? And what thing could it be? Simplifying means, okay, maybe I'm going to just get rid of a few things, even though they might be good on their own. They're not what I'm looking for. It means opening yourself to God and to filling your soul. And I like the phrase that the pagans run after all these things, um, which is still up there. Uh, trying to get the latest thing, keeping up with the Joneses. You're running after all these things. It, it's funny because um, I've never actually heard anyone say, you know, I'll feel a lot better when I have more stuff around me. I mean, it, we do it, but we don't say, like, oh, I'll feel better when, when things are cluttered. It's going to feel awesome. It's usually, we feel better going the other direction. And I think there's something to that because we're giving space to God. We're giving space in, in terms of stuff, time, but I think energy. It's kind of what, what do we want to dedicate ourselves to? What are we filling ourselves with? So my, my advice, the, the practical thing, it, it, it can be overwhelming. When I hear simplicity, I think of like people who are starting their own farms and like they've given up like complete society and they've just gone out in the woods or whatever. Uh, I like Richard Foster has some advice of kind of taking one thing at a time, taking that, that thing that's in front of you, trying to find those areas where you can practice a simpler way of life. So like for me, I, I actually work in a sort of high-tech field, but I have a, a dumb phone. I don't have a smartphone. In fact, it's in the car, I think. might be at home. Uh, because I don't want, th- I know I spend so much time on the computer. I know that's one more thing that's going to complexify my life. And so I want to be careful about making my life more complex when I'm already busy and overwhelmed with a number of things. I'm looking to kind of remove some of these encumbrances. And it's simplify. The point I'm making is that simplifying is not trying to be cool. There are, like, magazines with the world's smallest house and, like, you know, people trying to really go extreme. That's not it. That's still a competition. That's still chasing after something extreme. It's the idea of making space for God, loving God so that you're able to kind of love him better and love others better. The love others, I, I think of uh, my mom um, retired from teaching a few years ago, and even when she was a teacher, she had a good amount of free time. And she used that to actually sit and listen to people. So like, I think she simplified parts of her life so that she could actually hear people and actually pray with them and do things. That's what she does now a lot of. I admire that. I don't live that way myself. And that's one thing I wrestle with of kind of, am I simplifying my time? Like, am I available? If I'm not available for anyone, if people from my church community come and they call me and it's a distraction, is that, what does that say about the way I'm treating my life, that I've organized my life? So that, that's the first point, simplicity. The half point is, what I'm getting at is sort of, there's a cultural game. I've mentioned bigger is better. There are a lot of other ways we could say it. There's a cultural game that's out there and that you're encouraged to play. And I'm saying don't play that game. Let's, let's, it's not so much about what stuff you have or what. It's, it's whether we're playing that game and what are we chasing. So I'm encouraging you to say no to that game. Our culture is lying to you, maybe intentionally, maybe not. But uh, give some things up and, and let yourself be a little open, a little desperate for God. I love, there's a song by the Avet brothers where they say, uh, if I live the life I'm given, I won't be scared to die. And I love that line about live the life you're given. You're going to be told by people directly and indirectly what life to live. But live the one that God has in front of you. Try to remove the clutter and distractions, the things that are good but that aren't for you and the things that are that could destroy you. Don't clutter your life with something else. Okay, so that was the first, that was the one and a half piece of advice. The second uh, piece of advice, so I mentioned simplification helps in terms of open yourself to God, and we see it with the the birds of the air in in this passage of kind of, they just exist, they do things. 
Simplifying opens yourself to God to love God, and that helps you love others when you love God. The second piece of advice is service, which you love others, and as you love others, that helps you love God. So they kind of, they go hand in hand. Like I said, prayer goes hand in hand, worship, all of this goes hand in hand. Um, And it's putting yourself in that position again. Put yourself in a position to love others. And specifically, there are two things about service that I like and the reason that I'm suggesting it in this context. Because remember, you may have forgotten at this point, we're actually talking about worry. So the reason I'm mentioning service in the context of worry, one of the reasons is that it helps you see that life is not about you. If life is about God and life is about serving other people, um, you find that when you're serving people and you're not as stressed. I find even when I'm in a, quote, stressful situation, if I'm there to serve someone, I'm not worried about it. I really, the things I've done where I've tried to serve people, I don't feel the same anxiety. It's a different type of thing. So it's our, our cult, an underlying theme is that our culture encourages you to think of yourself as a consumer and to think of yourself as entitled to things. And service inverts this and says you're not the one who's entitled, you're actually providing for someone else. And the other reason I mentioned service is that I think it actually gives meaning. I gave, you know, where, where do I think about I have meaning in my own life? Um, it's, it's the times I've served other people. Those, those rank the highest on my list in terms of where I've seen meaning. So much of my life seems to be non-meaningful. I think I mentioned 90% of what I worry about, probably more. I didn't do a scientific study on this. Probably more than 90% is things I don't really care about. They're not really meaningful to me in some deep sense. Um, it's kind of like I, I enjoy movies and books, but mainly because they point to something greater. Um, and service kind of puts me into that something greater. I've mentioned, we, we had a, um, just to give you an example, we, we had a, a devotional series at Exodus uh, a few years ago. So some of you may have heard part of this before, but I volunteer in, in the jail uh, once a week and just talk to guys. And there was one time I was in there where a couple guys got angry at each other, and I stepped between them because they were almost going to fight each other. It was a little weird, and it was uncomfortable, and I was freaked out. Like I was shaking when I left. Later, I was told you're not really supposed to step in front of inmates like when they're doing that. But whatever, it worked out fine. No one got in a fight. I left, and like it, it felt like... I was shaken, but I felt meaning. Like, I felt something there. Like, it's something that I don't normally feel. I felt like God was showing me something in that. And I've on, I'm not going to go through all of what he was showing me in that. But it's just that notion of when I've been serving other people, that's where I notice God seems to personally be showing me something. And that's weird. That doesn't happen when I watch Seinfeld. I mean, as great as this show is. It, it just doesn't happen that way when I'm kind of doing some of these things that, that eat up time but don't do a lot else. And it's, I mean, that's sort of a dramatic example. Even just simple moments of talking, you know, about how Spanish works or whatever we talk about in there. It's been, you know, I come home energized. I may go in nervous. I may go in awkward. Or I go in awkward, but it's also awkward in the situation. I'm awkward a lot, so just kind of, uh, you probably noticed. Uh, so even in these sometimes awkward moments, like, I feel God in those moments. And I would say this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if this seems very foreign, I heavily encourage heavily encouraged is not strong enough. I say just drop something this week and like cold call volunteer or go serve some, like go serve somebody, find someone that you know. Like if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's useful. Go in there looking for God. You're not going to, like I said, you can't create a God experience, but go in there and just say, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm serving. I'm looking for meaning. And I think God will honor that. Okay, so, um, and and part, I want to mention just because I feel like a lot of what I'm saying might lead to guilt. I actually, I don't want you to feel guilt. The reason I mention this is because it's amazing. Like, that's why I'm encouraging you to serve. I think it's amazing. Even, like, putting up chairs on Sunday morning, I get a lot out of that. Like, 
it's fun. I don't, I, it, you don't get these experiences elsewhere. I, I'll talk to you more about it later if you don't believe me. Uh, let me summarize what I've talked about. So I think I've gone here, there, and everywhere. Um, so the summary is that, uh, but it's, it's a simple idea. Um, replace this question of how do I reduce anxiety with uh, what is my life about? So it's, I've mentioned these things that choke us. I think at, at best they're distractions. Sometimes they're good things, so I shouldn't say at best. Sometimes they're good things, often they're distractions, but sometimes they choke us. So these things of kind of, what, what do I actually want my life to be about? It's an important question. If, I think all of us want to ask that question, just sometimes we're a little bit afraid to. And we have distractions that keep us from asking that question. So replace distractions with meaningful activity. And what I've suggested is just a couple mechanisms, just two, like I could list prayer, worship, community, Bible, there are lots of things that, you know, Bible study, all these things go into this. But simplicity, it helps us love God and therefore love others better. And service helps us love others and therefore love God better. Um, I should have mentioned, um, I don't know if I should have mentioned, I, I, I think I said bigger is better is not true. I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll check my notes with Heidi later, the recording, uh, check my own notes. Um, bigger may be better in some context, but it's really a question of what are we big on. So I mentioned the polar pop. If that's what we're big on, or if it's a big screen TV, like that's what's big in our lives, that's what stands out about our lives, um, it's kind of pathetic. And I say that as someone who's done those types of things and had pathetic moments of my life where it's like, this is what my life is about. Hey, look at me. I go running a lot. That's, I mean, it's cool, I like it, but is that what I want my life to be about? And these are things, uh, that one hits me just because I have obsessed about running and it has been what I try to make my life about. These things have kind of, what, what are we trying to do with our lives? So uh, I know Matt has preached before on kind of being big people, and the question is really sort of, um, if we're going to say bigger is better, which it may be, but it's a question of what are we big on? What are we seeking after? All right, let me pray for us. God, I uh, thank you for being who you are. I thank you for the, the opportunities you give us to experience meaning in our lives. I thank you for um, your way of living. Um, and I pray that you guide and help each one of us as we pursue that. In Christ's name, amen. Um,